I'm Heather Bushman for N Equals One, a podcast about science and discovery at UC San Diego. In each episode, we bring you the story of one project, one discovery, or one scientist. And in this episode, I'm speaking with one pharmacist, Candice Morello. She shares with us some really interesting insights into what life is like as a pharmacist today and and how pharmacists aren't really just the pill dispensers that you might think of them as. Today, pharmacists play an integral role in interdisciplinary healthcare teams and are oftentimes kind of the frontline primary care provider who may have more time to spend with you and answer questions than a primary care physician. So uh, Candace shared with me some ways that she is helping to make healthcare better and more cost effective, particularly for diabetes patients. It's a career path that was inspired by, believe it or not, her grandmother's peach tree. Here she is. I'm Candace Morello, and I am professor of clinical pharmacy at and associate dean for student affairs at the Skag School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences here at UC San Diego. And tell me about yourself a little first. You know, where did you grow up? I actually grew up right here in San Diego. Oh, I'm no one way. of the few. I was going to say it's so <laughs> unusual to have to know uh, native San Diegans. That's right. <laughs> um, and. What did, what did your, what was your family like? What did your parents do? Did you have siblings? Yeah, so my parents are, I'm, I have such admiration for them. They were high school sweethearts and um, had me at 17 and 19. No way. And they didn't have the opportunity to go to college or, you know, um, at that time. And so it didn't matter. They're so smart and they are just dedicated to what they do. So my mom started as a teller and ended up opening community business banks in San Diego. And my dad started as an E1 in the Navy and ended up retiring 30 years later as a commander. So they gave me a lot of opportunities in terms of uh, making sure that I got to go to college. My, wow. You know, they gave me and my sister that same opportunity. So I'm really grateful to them. That's amazing. And what did, when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? I was always interested in the question why and the knowing the hows. I was all about the whys and the hows. <laughs> I drove my parents crazy. Uh, so I really, I, like, I wanted to be like a movie director <laughs> or an uh, anthropologist or, you know, something in the health sciences I didn't know. Um, but always under like, why do we do it that way? How do, how come, why don't we try something different? Mm-hmm. And so what was your educational path like? So you had opportunities and yeah. to go to college and things. So where did you go to college? So I did my undergrad at UC Davis, and I majored in chemistry. And I, I kind of um, coupled that, balanced it out a little bit with a minor in sociocultural anthropology. Oh, wow. And I'm so glad I did because... Both of those, that major and minor, gave me a, just a different view, a different perspective, and realizing that you kind of have to pe- put your feet in people's shoes in order mm-hmm. to understand where they're coming from a little bit. So I'm really grateful for that um, balancing out of my heavy science uh, major. Yeah. So when did that sort of lead into an interest in pharmacy and diabetes. Yeah. So I ended up getting my PharmD degree at UC San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, 
What interested me early on about um, diabetes was one of my grandmothers. Uh, she was, had diabetes when I was young, and the doctor, there weren't very many meds. There was right. no testing. She had a hard time understanding, like, what sugar was, right? Yeah. And so I noticed that um, it was her peach tree. I noticed that I'd go visit her, and there'd oh be all these gosh. peach um, pits on the ground. And I'd say to her, are you eating those peaches? And she said, oh, they're so good, you know, and I sit down and I eat six. And so I got a big thing, you know, that CNH sugar, and I got that out and I put some cups of sugar in a bowl and I said, this is the same as this. Oh, I would never eat that bowl of sugar. And I'd say, exactly. So just eat one peach. So it was a way of like figuring out how I could make her understand um, about what glucose, like what it was yeah. that was making her feel so bad. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, and in, in medicine, it was um, pharmacy. My other grandmother, um, she used to, if I complained about anything, she had a remedy in her garden. <laughs> oh, yeah. So if I had a stomach upset uh-huh. at night, 8 o'clock at night, she'd get the flashlight and we'd go in her garden. She'd get some mint leaves and she would like make up a tea and I'd drink the tea and I actually felt better. And I was like, oh, what's, what is this? So that kind of got me interested in, in uh, like, like pharmacy or like what, how can we help people feel better? Like what makes that happen? So, yeah. And so did you go straight from UC Davis to UCSF? I did. I took a year off uh, just to make some money for pharmacy school. (laughs) And uh, my students call that the gap year now. Right. Uh, (laughs) Now it's trendy. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I was so trendy back then. (laughs) Yeah. And um, then I uh, completed a residency in uh, pharmacy practice with a geriatric emphasis at the VA in San Diego right here. Mm -hmm. So that's what brought you back home to San Diego? It did. It did. Um, and now you're at in the Skag School Pharmacy here. So what's, you probably don't have one typical day, but you know, what might, might a, a, an average day look like for you? I have to tell you, I love my job because it's so flexible. I'm never bored and I always get to try to make positive change. So it depends upon what hat I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. If I'm wearing my professor hat, I might be teaching, working with my research team, or I might be um, working, if I'm in my clinician hat, I'm at my clinic helping patients or teaching my students who come with me um, during their fourth year rotations. Or um, if I'm wearing my associate dean for student affairs hat, then I might be mentoring students or you know counseling students and supporting them. I'm faculty equity advisor, one of them in health sciences, so I might be educating about diversity and inclusion and so it just depends. And what do you like doing the best? What what gets you really passionate and feel a sense of accomplishment? I love seeing people succeed mm-hmm. and I love uh, helping people achieve like what they really want to do. And so finding what that is when helping them and figuring out and brainstorming, I love that part of it. And then we just create, chunk it out, create a t- plan, timeline, and make it happen. So I think it just depends. It de- what I always say, I love doing what I'm doing right now. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's a great and way to go through life, I guess. That's right? how I kind of keep it all juggling. You know, I just try to do it like that. <laughs> <laughs> now you've started a special clinic over at the VA. Tell me about that. Yeah, about ten years ago, I was given the opportunity to create a clinic that I, after treating patients for you know ten, fifteen years. I'd realized that I think I had a pretty good idea of how I could do it more successfully. 
So we created a endocrinology um, overseeing pharmacist-run clinic. The clinic's called the DIM fondly, the DIM clinic. It's not DIM at all. It's so bright. <laughs> but it is the Diabetes Intense Medical Management Clinic. And we treat very complex patients with type 2 diabetes uh, for about, um, you know, average of three visits over about a six-month period to help them achieve their goals. So what are some of their goals and what do they do when they come see you? Yeah, so... Uh, their goal is to get their diabetes under control, which usually is measured by an A1C reduction. Um, but we, it's a very multi-pronged approach. We don't just say, okay, here's some meds and this is what you need to do. We teach them the hows and the whys. Like, why do you take this medicine? How does it work? And it makes more sense to yeah. them. We create a very patient, um, personalized care, very specific to them. We simplify. We make it so practical and manageable for them. Even their activity and even their food choices, their diet, we just kind of do it all. Very multi-pronged. And what how does it compare to kind of the standard of care for diabetes? I mean, imagine the typical diabetes patient is just seeing their primary care physician now and then. So how is this different? Yeah, it really is different. And the biggest difference is time. Um, time and very focused care. So we see patients in 60 minutes. Oh, wow. Which is really the amount of time that you need to listen to your patients <laughs> effectively and help them create a care plan that they're involved with that they can do and they buy into because it's their body. I always tell them, I can't be at the refrigerator making your decisions. I can't adjust, you know, know what your glucose is every day to know what needs to be adjusted. Let me show you how to do it. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do. Yeah, so it is different in time for sure. And in fact, patients do so much better. They feel better, they sleep better, they have more energy that when they go see their primary care provider, they the primary care providers are thrilled because they can use their time to focus on other conditions mm -hmm. the patients might have. Yeah, um, so I mean, that's a big topic of discussion in a lot of places, right, is about how to make healthcare more efficient and more effective. Right. So how do you know, how do you measure that this clinic is better than and more advantageous in different ways than the standard of care? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And we always do need to justify our what we're doing. Right. And so we, our research team has studied multiple things in the clinic, the DIM clinic, tune-up model. And first of all, we compared standard of care with our clinic and the outcomes. Mm -hmm. You know, over a six-month period of time, um, compared to standard of care, the A1C reduction was 0.8, and in our clinic, it was 2.4. Wait, what's A1C? The A1C is a measure of glycemic control to see um, how well a patient's diabetes is controlled. The important thing to know is there have been multiple studies in the last 20, 25 years demonstrating that with every 1% A1C reduction, that is associated with over a 30% reduction or even prevention of microvascular complications that are associated with diabetes, like in the kidneys, the eyes, the nerves. And that's a big deal because yeah. that's like um, hemodialysis, losing your vision, amputations. Mm. We don't want any of that. But it's all a 1% A1C reductions also been associated with reduction in heart attacks um, and death as well. Mm. And some of the newer medicines we have are really very good with that as well. So 
Our, for us to have a 2.4% compared to standard of care, 0.8, it was very significant. That's huge, yeah. But we've also looked at it in terms of our um, cost effectiveness. Another hot topic That's in healthcare. That's right. And it's, so not only does the patient benefit, but the patient benefits because they feel better, they're preventing these long-term complications or getting better control over them. But we also, it's cost effective for the medical center and payers because these microvascular and uh, macrovascular complications are expensive. Mm -hmm. The hospitalization for heart failure, um, amputations, the hemodialysis, it's very expensive. So we can help the patient, but also become more cost effective for the medical center. In fact, we had a $9 to one return on investment for every $1 spent. And we modeled out two years, four years, or excuse me, I think it was two years, five years, and 10 on reduction of these complications. Mm -hmm. And our students, our our patients (laughs) were appreciatively better um, in the model compared to primary care outcomes. Yeah, that makes sense to take care of the problems before they happen now, and Mm -hmm. then you'll save, obviously, in the long run. In the long run. So um, could I just clarify one thing? Diabetes is a progressive disease. Mm -hmm. So the point is, we don't want to just give them the tools for today. We want to give them the tools and the knowledge to know that, okay, in five years, maybe when my medicine isn't working, I'm keeping everything else the same. I need to go to my doctor if I notice my glucoses are elevated. So we teach them to take action sooner. Yeah. And then what, what kinds of patients come to this clinic and who, who is it working for, maybe not working for? So um, that's a really good question, too. We have all kinds of patients coming mm-hmm. to clinic. We um, also published on the complexity of the patients, the many multiple medications they're on, the mm-hmm. medication complexity, the comorbidity complexity. And we have a lot of patients with mental health disorders as well. So it's a broad variety of patients. Some of my patients are homeless. Mm-hmm. Some, I mean, it, it, it's a very broad group. Yeah, but the point, though, is that um, one of my colleagues, Dr. Hirsch, who's my research partner, used to say, well, maybe it's just you. We need to research that. Because <laughs> you're just clinic. so good at right, taking right. care of patients. It's, that's it's... what it is. I said, okay, fine. In the literature and just anywhere um, we look, Mental health disorders, patients with mental health disorders are very much more difficult to achieve glycemic control. And in fact, mental health disorders are associated with poor adherence and poor glycemic control. Right. If you're dealing with mental health issues, you're probably not taking your medications the way you should, taking, you know, exercising, eating right. And you you don't feel good. So I said, why don't we have a look at that and compare and so that's what we did. Our research group got together. We always involve our student um, student pharmacists to give them tools as well so that they can go on and um, be clinicians and re- do research as well. And in fact, we published the successful outcomes of glycemic control in patients regardless of whether or not they have a mental health disorder. There was still an over 2% A1C reduction in either group, patients with mental health disorders and without. Mm -hmm. So this approach to caring for patients with diabetes sounds like a total no-brainer. So what are the the barriers to getting this sort of clinic in every health system and clinic out Uh, there? Absolutely, right. So it is cost... Right. right, because it takes yeah. more time yeah. to People, listen to your time, patient. People, space. That's right. 
but we already did the return on investment. Right. <laughs> We've already demonstrated that there's a significant cost effectiveness. So um, I think it's um, getting the word out there, mm -hmm. getting more training, more pharmacists, mm -hmm. advanced pharmacist practitioners. That's what I am. Um, we are doing that in our pharmacy schools. I think I always tell my students that I, I, I want all of you to go in and be specialists in diabetes. However, even if you don't, it doesn't matter because the population is increasing in diabetes. The number of people, it doesn't matter what you treat you're going to be treating someone with diabetes. Oh gosh, and you need so to know how to do that to effectively help control the other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, so as you're talking, it occurs to me that there may still be people out there who see pharmacists as just the person that you see at Walgreens who gives you your, hands you your medication, but pharmacists are doing so much more these days. So. Oh, so much more. <laughs> and even in community pharmacy, mm -hmm. there's been a big push to do vaccinations, to do other education, yeah. to do um, osteoporosis screening or other types of yeah. screening. So there's plenty of opportunity in the mm -hmm. community pharmacy to be doing this type of um, direct patient care. Yeah. It all takes collaboration mm -hmm. with a primary care provider or a medical group. It takes the payers recognizing the benefit, which is why we have spent with my research team so much time um, publishing the outcomes mm -hmm. of what, how to do it exactly and um, what the benefits are. Mm -hmm. So I am just heard about here at UC San Diego, we're launching a new center, a Dissemination and Implementation Sciences Center. And it just strikes me as this is kind of almost the perfect case study for that. And so that what that group does is exactly this, which is, hey, there's we found some new intervention or new innovation that helps people. Mm -hmm. um, how do we get that adopted by physicians, by caregivers, by health systems? And how do we bridge that gap from, hey, there's this great advantageous thing to getting everyone to do that? I think um, we might be hearing about a collaboration in the future. <laughs> yes, yes, that's so funny. I was just writing about it yesterday and this is, and trying to come up with examples. And this mm -hmm. is exactly the kind of things they're talking mm -hmm. about in developing mentorship training and um, new methodologies to be able to do that, to identify those barriers. And often it is, you know, leadership buy-in and um, yes. the cost and the helping people work these things into the normal flow. Like no one has more time. Right. <laughs> That's such a com hot commodity too. So right. how to work these things into already existing systems and in a way that works inside corporate cultures and with a patient's culture as well. I agree with that, except the time aspect. Let me give mm. you an example. Okay. Because if I can take three one-hour visits and tune someone up in six months where a 2.4 A1C reduction, right? Um, if you look at a, a say standard of care where we're seeing the patient over and over and over, those 15, 20, 30 minute visits add up. So we yeah. actually, if you spend more on mm -hmm. the, at the beginning, you save, you know, a little more time, you save a lot more money in the end. So I think it also is changing the perception, changing the payers, the health systems, the, the people who have to have the buy-in. It's just educating them about Absolutely. some of these key things. Absolutely. Um, so you're passionate about what you do and you're an educator and also lead student affairs here. So what would you tell somebody um, perhaps interested in pharmacy school? 
I think there are so many opportunities in pharmacy that it is such a, a broad career that you can do anything. <laughs> you could be interested in anything. One of my colleagues loves math. So she does pharmacokinetics for the NIH studies, like all over the place. It's unbelievable. You can like anything and do well in pharmacy. It's an excellent career with a lot of diversity, a lot of um, variety, and uh, I, I recommend it to just about anybody who is interested in, you know, the hows and the whys and the science, helping people. Um, I think that it's been a fabulous career for me. I still have a little ways to go, <laughs> but I will continue to keep charging on and mentoring these amazing students that I get to teach. That's excellent. Um, and anything else you would want to say? No, I just, I really feel that getting the word out is so important. Pharmacists are drug experts. Mm -hmm. There are so many medications out there that all come with adverse events, side effects, drug interactions, um, drug disease interactions, drug food interactions. Mm -hmm. We're the experts. We're trained. Pharmacists really should be in collaborative care teams and helping patients in, in health systems achieve successful outcomes. We're the right people to do it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking You're welcome. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. You can find more episodes of N equals one at health.ucsd.edu slash podcast or on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts.